Hello everybody, what's up? This is Favi from Titanic Takes. If you're watching this video, you already know who we are. Um, I'm here with baby Leo. He's not really feeling, he's a little tired, but we're here filming this video. Yeah, you're tired, huh? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is a big milestone for us. 50 episode means a lot. Um, it means a lot to Leo too. Maybe one day he'll take on Titanic Takes himself. But <laughs> for now, it's just, you know, it's me and Ivan, so... Um, we appreciate you guys, you know, putting, listening week in, week out. Without you guys, right, right, Leo? Without them, we don't have any of this. Um, so I appreciate the time that you take to follow us and to go ahead and retweet and like all the things that we do. And, and you become fans of all the content we make. And, and I truly do appreciate that. Um, I wasn't, unfortunately, able to be in this episode due to having the worst Wi-Fi in the world right now. But... We'll, we'll get that fixed soon, and I'll be right back to our normal schedule. Uh, but for now, I hope you guys enjoy this video that Ivan made with uh, Abel. And um, I hope you guys keep following and listen for the next 50 episodes. Uh, all we got to say, Leo, is... Oh, go Quakes. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. See you guys. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tonic Takes podcast. With me is our newest co-host, but now on a second podcast with us, Abel, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, and from a Quakes perspective, it's just one of those things where like, it's like pulling teeth. Like we're trying to get that win. And it's just like, just eluding us. And it's just been a tough process we're just waiting and waiting for you know that game to go our way but the performances have been improving i agree uh this this tie it, you can't really have like a reaction to it you know what <laughs> i mean like you can't really be like man like that was such a terrible game and you also can't be like that like this game was full of positives it's just and it was just another game really yeah it's similar to the minnesota united game where like some people are going to be more accepting of the result than others. Others will be more frustrated with it. And it's all valid. Like, it's all yeah. the feelings you can have for this. Um, they visited the Colorado Rapids at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, hoping to end their winless streak, which was at eight games, but has now been extended to nine. Uh, it slightly improved to a three-draw and six-loss record, which is better than two draws and seven losses. And for the Rapids, they saw this as an opportunity as well. They haven't lost the Quakes at home since 2013. They sat fourth in the Western Conference prior to the fixture. So they were as hungry for this win as we are because they have their own ambitions. They're trying to – they're one of those original MLS clubs along with the San Jose Earthquakes that they're trying to shake a, a recent history of – just being underperformers as the Quakes have been and the Rapids have been able to do that a bit more successfully. They have a more recent MLS cup triumph than us 2010, as opposed to 2003 for us, although we won the support shield in 2012. So it's the Rapids are kind of like a Rocky mountain version of us in a way, <laughs> but just slightly more successful. Yeah. Just slightly more successful. And they can be a bit more happier about where they are as a club right now than we are. Um, 
Right. The main event that eventually stole the show, though, was Agustin Salazar. He got sent off in the 69th minute after a confrontation with the referee. Uh, some might say even calling it a confrontation might be a little bit harsh on him, but he got sent off. Almeida got yellow, and it just became a meme that every soccer account on social media got hold of it and weighed in on it. And what were your thoughts on that? Hey, we made it to Bleacher Report. I, I see that yeah. as an absolute win. <laughs> that was my initial reaction. I tweeted about that on my personal account and on the Tectonic Takes account. I was like, wait, Sounds Earthquakes did something. And it was one of those feelings where if you ever lived in a small town, as I have, uh, you know, I currently live in Livermore. I wouldn't classify that as a small town, but my hometown, Martinez, is only 35,000 people. So if Martinez was ever on a news outlet like CNN or Google News or anything of that nature, it would usually be for something dubious or silly. And that's yeah. how it feels being a Sam's Earthquakes fan right now. But all publicity is good. All publicity is good publicity, right? I, I think so. To be yeah. honest, like it, it wasn't like a completely terrible moment either. I mean. It's just, it was out of our control, so yeah, we can't really do anything about it. If I had to pick one word to describe it, it would be either surprising or unique. Unique. Probably yeah. Fits. Right. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. We got a few other headlines to talk about. This has been an incredibly busy summer. Uh, with a lot of different international tournaments, club competitions as well, uh, even like UEFA Champions League and the other European competitions, they're starting the early stages of qualifying. Uh, that's a bit too much in the weeds that we won't talk about that just yet, but we do have a bit of a Gold Cup update. So USA and Mexico topped their groups, each with unconvincing 1-0 wins over Canada and El Salvador, respectively. Did you catch any of those games, Abel? Uh, I caught part of the Mexico versus El Salvador game. Um, I work at a restaurant. We have TV, so I caught parts of it. Um, pretty even game from what I saw. Uh, although I do think that Mexico had like a slight upper hand. But, I mean, it, it's just so weird. Like, you you watch the Euros. You watch mm -hmm. the Copa America. And you, you're, you're used to that quality of uh, football and now you're watching the CONCACAF uh, Gold Cup and you're like really I'm, I'm watching this like it's one of those things it, it just it just feels weird right and I realize as I'm saying this I say one of those things too many times I promise it's not intentional but anyway if we weren't in CONCACAF if we weren't living in the United States and we didn't have connections through you know our ancestry we probably wouldn't watch the gold cup i feel if you were living in say south africa you would watch the euros you would watch the copa america even but you probably wouldn't pay too much attention to the gold cup instead you the next best competition in your eyes would be the african cup of nations which uh, we don't actually watch well i watch the final to be fair but you know it, it kind of we goes don't really ways. get too much of the other cups we don't get the afc or the african cup of nations televised here in the united states to my knowledge you probably find a stream somewhere yeah. and even less so the uh 
OFC Cup, which, you know, they're such a small confederation that that doubles as their World Cup qualification process as well as their uh, zone tournament. But Yeah, some people don't even know that exists. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, isn't that just New Zealand? Um, technically, no, right. but also yes. <laughs> but anyway, the point is that it is a bit of a drop-off, and it did show in this situation but you could also look at it on the other side of the coin that maybe USA and Mexico's downfalls are a bit overblown right now because they did still top their groups. Mexico got seven points, two wins and a draw. USA got all three wins, but the rest of the confederation is getting stronger. Canada is no slouch. They have a good amount of players playing in competitive leagues in Europe, as well as in uh, some of the tougher leagues in uh, CONCACAF as well. El Salvador, they've looked as strong as I can remember them as I've followed uh, international football. And granted, El Salvador, they still only have three MLS-based players. They have three USL championship players. Most of their roster is domestic-based, but despite where they play at club level as a team that they've shown that they have the qualities to compete with the likes of Mexico. And while you can criticize Mexico for not putting away El Salvador uh, with the larger uh, scoreline, you also have to give the other team credit. Yeah. And I think this is like the best El Salvador team that we've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, and I wrote here um, and a lot of people are saying that, you know, CONCACAF is trashed. I mean, honestly, <laughs> we're not we're not saying that it's like a great tournament. Uh, but I mean, a lot of people, you know, they're saying it's trash, that USA and Mexico should be like playing in Copa America. But I feel like this tournament has proved otherwise. You either have to admit that CONCACAF is a little more competitive this year or that USA and Mexico are just not as strong as they usually are. And you also have to consider that Mexico have a few key players out. They lost Irving Lozano uh, pretty early in the tournament due to an injury. Mm -hmm. And USA flat out called up their B team. Like, there's no Pulisic, there's no Tyler Adams, there's no Weston McKinney, Zach Steffen, John Brooks, and et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of players that they decided, okay, we use them for the Nations League. We won that competition. It would be asking too much to rely on that same group of players for another tournament and then have them go to their respective European clubs exhausted and trying to fight for uh, continued starting roles or perhaps greater roles for this upcoming season. And so we're going to give an opportunity to a few of the stragglers from that Nations League squad, Jackson Ewell included, and also a whole raft of other young players like Gianluca Busio, Sam Vines, uh, even Daryl DK, who, you know, probably should be considered as the starting striker for the full U.S. roster when they have everybody available. But anyway, this is an opportunity for other American players to shine. And but this is in our A team. Yeah. And I think we talked about it in the last podcast. This is shining light on MLS as well. Yeah, I think MLS is, I don't necessarily think MLS's reputation is being hindered too much from this tournament because 
yes, it's a heavy MLS roster for the United States, but they're competing against virtually every other team in this tournament has players based in the United States as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a wash in that sense. And I get that there's going to be some people who think, oh, this is why you can't have MLS Ross players on your full roster. And we're still at the point where if you go exclusively European-based U.S. players for a 23-player squad, you're still filling that back end of the roster with players that aren't getting that much game time in Europe. And even some of those players like Ethan Horvath, who was super impressive when he came on for Zach Steffen, he saved the penalty. He went from a Belgian club, and now he recently made a move to Nottingham Forest, which are a championship club that has an established number one goalkeeper. So it's going to be tough for him to be the starter in that club, even though they're a mid-table championship club. So it's not necessarily like USA have the luxury of being able to pick and choose a squad full of Premier League or Bundesliga starters like in England or Germany. Right. So I think like the USA is just trying to make the most out of what they have Mm -hmm. uh, and just shine some light on their domestic league. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And I think the Gold Cup is also an important scouting opportunity for MLS clubs, not just for USA players, but for other players from other CONCACAF nations who impress in this tournament, who maybe play in somewhere in the Caribbean or the Central American leagues, they're not making a lot of wages compared to what they can make in Liga Mekis or MLS. Yeah. And that's a good enough transition to talk about the MLS All-Star game. Abel, uh, I see you provided your uh, ballot, essentially picking your players. Uh, Have you voted on the MLS website? Uh, that is on my to-do list after this podcast. I actually right. have the page open. <laughs> okay, definitely do that after this podcast. Um, v- voting is important in general, but and this is less so. Uh, this is for an all-star roster on a sports team, but it's a fun way to be involved in the process. You know, if you're one of those people who always complains, oh, wow, the fans got this wrong, but if you don't vote, then, well, you can't really be mad then. <laughs> yeah. And also feel like you just can't get mad in general. I I feel like no one's ballot is supposed to be realistic. I mean, I have players from the Earthquakes on here, and I'm pretty sure that uh, a lot of people don't have any Earthquakes players at all in their starting 11. It's meant to be fun. Yeah, it's meant to be fun. I tried to make a realistic roster, like players who I think definitely deserve to be in. And the Quakes player that I include in my ballot, Kate Cal, I do believe that he wouldn't look out of place in an all-star game, but I also understand he's got an uphill battle to make it to a roster. So let me just talk about my selections real quick. I put Matt Turner from the New England Revolution as my goalkeeper, Alex Roldan from the Sounders as my right back, also from the Sounders, you got Yamar Gomez Andrade, partnered with Antonio Carlos of Orlando City. Left back, I put Kai Wagner, and I'm a little bit biased because he's on my fantasy team. Uh, mm. Alexander Ring is my defensive midfield. I like how they force you to select a defensive midfielder as well as two attacking midfielders, which I put Roldan from the Sounders and 
Carlos Gill, also from the Revolution, and then my front three, Kate Cowell, Nani, and Chicharito. Interesting to not include Raul Ruidias. Yeah, I so I think Nani, Chicharito, and Raul Ruidias, those are the three that are the favorites to get in. I could see maybe a Carlos Vela. He's not had a similar season as he used to in MLS or uh, Gustavo Bo, who's also been very impressive in New England. But I think it's going to be those three, even though I am voting for Kate Cow, I expect Rui Diaz to likely be the fan choice. Uh, should I go over mine now? Yeah, go for it. So, so I went with more popular picks. I tend to stay away from uh, just picking whatever is popular. But I feel like in terms of at least the goalkeeper and the back line, uh, popularity kind of got it right. So I, ha I have a goalkeeper. Brad Stuver and my backline consists of Daniel Lovitz, uh, uh, Andreo Fontas, Walker Zimmerman, and at right back, Alex Roldan. Mm -hmm. uh, in the center defensive mid position, I put Eric Rometty, and this is where my bias is kind of showing. But today we did find out that he has been fouled 53 times this season. Mm. 53 times, which means that players yeah. are targeting him because he's doing an exceptional job in the team that he's in. Yeah. And that, that doesn't happen with any player. And plus, I just think his performances just haven't been appreciated enough. So I feel like, uh, like you said with Cade Cowell, Eric Rometty wouldn't look out of place in this all-star game. Yeah. If you go by those stats, like, being fouled 53 times, if you're not a striker or a winger, that's a very big deal as well. I mean, it's a big deal anyway, but yeah. it's happening to a defensive midfielder. That shows that he's been getting in a lot of players' heads. He's been doing his job very effectively. And I think that that's definitely something to consider. Uh, one thing I considered with Cade Cowell was he has the most combined goals and assists of any American in MLS this season. So I think when you look at Major League Soccer, this is a American and Canadian league. You could potentially have a roster filled with talented players that are not from USA or Canada, but chances are there a few will sneak in. Yeah. And right here, the rest of my midfield consists of Christian Rold uh, Roldan. Mm -hmm. And at the center attacking position, I put Carles Hill. My front line consists of Kate Cowell, Chicharito, and Raul Ruiz Diaz. So pretty similar to yours, but swapped out Nani for, uh, for Raul Ruiz Diaz. All right. And for those of you who are listening, uh, hopefully we get this podcast out before the voting deadline has passed. If you do want to submit an MLS All-Star Game ballot, uh, you will have the option to pick a starting 11 like Abel and I just did. You do have to pick one goalkeeper, two center backs, a left back, a right back, a defensive midfielder, two attacking midfielders, and three forwards. So forwards include any strikers or wingers. So that's essentially how it's going to work for the fan portion of the vote, as well as a 12th player who received the next highest votes. That'll be the 12th player selected by the fans. Bob Bradley picks... Uh, the other 12, along with uh, Don Garber picks two for a final roster of 26. Uh, for the Liga Mekis all-star team, the 25 players were selected with 14 selections from the winners and nominees of the Ballon d'Oro Awards, 
then the Cruz Azul head coach Juan Reynoso would select uh, 11 players himself. And then uh, the Liga MX president Mikel Arriola would uh, pick one player. So it would both be rosters of 26 players. Uh, the link to their roster, it, it's on MLSsoccer.com as well as you can find it on the La Liga and Mekis website as well. I'll just scan through some of the notable selections. Uh, of course, on there, Pierre Gignac from Tigres is going to be there. The Argentine-turned-Mexican striker Rogelio Funes Mori is going to be there. You're going to get Guido Pizarro also from Tigres. Ruben Sambueza from Toluca. You're going to get Jesus Gallardo. He's currently active with the Mexico national team as well. Pablo Aguilar from Cruz Azul. Cesar Montes from Monterrey. William Tecillo, the, Tecillo, sorry, the Colombian international from Club León. And then if you're a Mexican fan, you know by heart the three goalkeepers. It's going to be Corona, Ochoa, and Talavera. Uh, any players that stand out for you, Abel? Uh, pretty much all the ones that you mentioned. Uh, yeah. I think he also went over uh, Luis Romo. Oh, yeah. Luis That's Romo, I, I feel like he's going to be very important. He had a great season. Uh, he won the Ballon de Oro for best defensive mid. I feel like he's going to be running the show. So look yeah. out for him. Yeah, and something I noticed... Granted, uh, Liga Mekis is a league of 18 teams as opposed to MLS's 26 teams, so there's less fan bases to please. You do draw a lot of players from a lot of the same clubs. I don't believe there's a Chivas player that's been selected. There's not a single Chivas player, and that hurts. But yeah, it's it, it hurts. I, I understand they haven't been that good, but come on. Uh, can find room for... Um, his name escapes me, uh, but maybe like Jota Jota Macias. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah, but we just, just completed his just, move to Getafe. Oh, yeah, that's why, know. of course. Yeah, I was thinking like <laughs> probably transferred. That's probably why. That was our best shot. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, so, Liam Eckes, they already figured out their roster. Uh, MLS is going to take a little bit more time. Uh, but that's going to be exciting. I think this is going to be the format of the MLS All-Star game has shifted a lot from year to year. It used to be uh, MLS uh, World versus U.S. They used to do Western Conference versus Eastern Conference. They used to invite a lot of different uh, European clubs. Uh, I think one time even uh, Liga Mekis club, if I'm not mistaken, but I think this could be a format change that can stick around for the foreseeable future. I'd be okay with that, to be honest. Yeah. You have a lot of fans uh, in the United States that root for Mexican teams. Uh, looking at it through like a business side, this is like printing a money decision. I, honestly, yeah, it's just printing money. And yeah. I don't like looking at the sport through just that lens, but I know that's, that's what's going to convince the leagues more. And it's part of for, it. For it's the fans. I, undeniable part of the decision-making process. The other day you had Leon versus Cruz Azul in the Campeón de Campeones match that was held in Dignity Health uh, 
sports park in Carson. So that played to the large uh, Latino population in LA. And there's large populations of Latinos throughout the United States. So they could hold it in like Minnesota, for example, and they'll come out there or they'll travel like. <laughs> yeah. So that's all for the MLS All-Star game. Now let's get into the match. So it was a 1-1 draw at Dick's Sporting Goods Park in Commerce City, Colorado. Uh, the Colorado Rapids, coached by Robin Fraser, they had a 4-2-3-1 formation. They had William Yarbo in goal. He's of Mexican descent, but uh, he decided to represent the U.S. men's national team. He's not really in the picture anymore. The back line of Keegan Rosenberry, Lalas Abubakar, Danny Wilson, and Austin Trusty. You had Cole Bassett and Jack Price in the middle of the park. Michael Barrios and Nicolas Benazet were the wingers. Nicolas Mesquita in the center attacking mid spot. Andre Shinyashiki in the, up top. And they used Brian Galvan and Dentuma Torre up, uh, from the bench. Torre was recruited from the Colorado Springs switchbacks where he was loaned to. Uh, his Wikipedia page still said that he was on loan there. So maybe he's on some sort of two-way contract like in the NBA, but that was interesting that they were able to use him. The previous result for the Rapids was a 2-0 win over Minnesota United at home on July 7th. So they played the Minnesota, Minnesota United four days after we did in our last game. Uh, they won 2-0. Minnesota United was reduced to 10 men in that game, but it was an 86-minute red card. They already scored their two goals from Shinyashiki and Galvan. And notably, uh, not in the roster for the Rapids uh, due to a long injury, uh, former Quakes player Stephen Betashore. He was with the San Jose Earthquakes from 2010 to 2013. A lot of longtime fans will remember him fondly as part of that 2012 team. Uh, he is one of six uh, players on the Rapids roster not to play single minute for them this season, but this has largely been due to injury. So any thoughts on the Rapids roster? Pretty strong roster. Pretty mm -hmm. interesting that they only used two substitutes. Yeah, I was thinking that, that as well. That, you know, they tied the game and they were pushing to take all three points, but, you know, the managerial decisions, it doesn't look like they were really pushing for that. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. You can go one of two ways about it when you start to get to the part of the season where the fixtures come thick and fast as we're in right now, where you can either uh, use all five of your subs to rest more of the starters, or you decide to use limited subs to keep the bench as fresh as possible because you're going to use them in the upcoming games. So I think the latter is what – Robin Frazier was going for there. Next up, oh, we have, yeah, it's an interesting decision. I personally don't agree with it. Uh, I prefer when teams use as many of substitutions as possible. It's a fitness thing and as well, it, it's a morale thing. Like if you're playing as many players as possible, you're showing them that you are a part of what we're working on and you're going to get game time. You're going to get opportunities to push for a starting spot by performing well off the bench. And by not using your subs, you were denying players those opportunities. And the Rapids, they were missing a few players, Sam Vines and uh, Jonathan Lewis. They are currently in the USA squad. Um, 
Sam Vines has done particularly well in, in MLS and in the U.S. team. Jonathan Lewis is kind of a fringe player on the USA, and he's not even a guaranteed starter for the Rapids. So that was an interesting call-up. As for the Quakes, it's the formation is listed as a 5-4-1, but I feel like it was a very fluid look for the San Jose Earthquakes in this game. Of course, Jason Marcinkowski between the, between the sticks. Shea Salinas, Nathan Osvaldo Alanis, and Tanner Beeson in the back five, along with Marcos Lopez, who returns from the Copa America. You have Christian Espinoza, Eric Remedy, Chofis Lopez, and Kate Cowell making up the midfield four. Benji Kakanovic earned a start up top after his point-saving goal against Minnesota United. And those are the main changes from the last game, which is, of course, the 2-2 draw versus Minnesota on July 3rd. There's no Jutsen to the injury. There's no Jackson Ewell because he's on international duty. Salinas went from left winger to right back. This guy is our Taysom Hill. We can play him almost anywhere. And then we had Marcos Lopez and Kikandovic take those two starting spots. What did you think of this lineup for the Quakes? Again, very interesting. Mm. Yeah. Almeida is a genius. I don't <laughs> know how else to put it. He's a mad scientist uh, sometimes. <laughs> he's a mad scientist. He also put, like you said, Shea Salinas at the right back position or right back. Uh, interesting that he wants to put a left winger. Uh, yeah. Or just someone who's more oriented on the left side, on uh, uh, the right position instead of instead of starting Paul Marie. But I guess he knows what he's doing. The formation, it looks like uh, more of a back line of three. Yeah, that's because how it can be sometimes kinda... the five. Yeah. When you have a back five, you usually have two wing backs, and then they can act as fullbacks that sit deeper and form that five, or they can often be pushing up, and then they leave a back three. The fullbacks become kind of wingers, fullback hybrids, which are wingbacks, mm -hmm. and then it can morph into like a three, four, three, or a three, five, two. Yeah, and I think this formation, I think the biggest takeaway from this is that this is more of a just on paper kind of thing. Right. Like the positions, I mean, we, we have to do a, we have to release a, a starting lineup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's in the contract. it comes out, it comes out. <laughs> but like you said, this was a very fluid formation. That's why I put a question saw, mark in the notes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like the, the fullbacks, they were pushing up. So that kind of allowed uh, Kate Cowell and Christian Espinosa to kind of tuck in a little more to fill in the gaps that Judson and Jackson Ewell left. So I think that was a good decision. And yeah. we saw the, in the goal how uh, we, were, we were making use of that space. So I think the formation worked pretty well with what we had. Yeah, I think right now how I feel about the roster decisions, I'm loving the starting lineups i'm not quite on board with a lot of the substitutions that are being made i think it was nice to see kate cowell play full 90 minutes he hasn't had too many of those opportunities which is part for the course you have to be a very uh star experienced player as a midfielder forward to be guaranteed 90 minutes uh on a consistent basis and to not be a frequent substitute target but I thought it was interesting how uh, Chofis was subbed off when he was. I figured 
uh, we could have used him a little bit longer. Um, but we, from the bench, we saw some repeat cameos. You know, Wondolowski, Abakasis, Haji, Rios. We've seen a lot of them out of the bench this season. Um, the fifth substitute is a player who got a rare opportunity, Jack Scahan. He's a North Carolina Tar Heels uh, product. He came to San Jose Earthquakes in 2020 from the draft. He spent some time on loan at Reno. But other than that, like, his professional career has been very limited so far. But I think this is going to be a good experience for him. I didn't see a whole lot from him that made me think, wow, I think he deserves more minutes yet. But I'm intrigued by him. Yeah, it's definitely something to follow closely. Yeah. I want to see how his career progresses. Right. Uh, the substitutions were kind of late. You yeah. Know, Haji, I would have liked to see more of Haji. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, other, other than that, pretty repetitive substitutions. Yeah. And that's kind of what you want to see at this point in the season or getting toward the midway point. A lot of teams have played anywhere from 13 to 14 ish games and in a three, four game season then 17 games would be the midway point. And it leads me to believe that we're going to be in for quite a roller coaster finish, uh, a lot of games uh, close together in the second half of the season. If we're going to finish, uh, I don't have the schedule memorized, but around like October to start the playoffs shortly after. Right. So then the goals came from trophies assisted by Kate Cowell. They scored then the 11th minute. Uh, Quakes went up 1-0. They stayed up at halftime, but shortly in the second half, the uh, 53rd minute, uh, Chris Bassett scored. It was assisted by Nicola Benesze, and that was it. Like, Colorado Rapids, they came out strong in the second half, and they were able to get the goal. I believe they deserved in the balance of the play. Like, Quakes, they had the opportunities to win, perhaps, but it would have been a very uh, smash and grab sort of thing. Not that they were being dominated, but let's look at some of the stats here. Rapids had 14 shots to a Quake 7, which looks bad, but both teams had two shots on target, so it's not like either team was going to run away from this game. Uh, Possession, Quakes had a slight edge, 51%. Passing accuracy, both teams had 82%. No chances created. Uh, Corners were Rapids 3, Quakes 1. Rapids had 18 fouls to the Quakes 7. So in that sense, like you could probably tip the scales toward the Quakes there. And one offsides each with yellow cards issued to Shinyashiki, Torre, Trusty, and Price for the Rapids and just Christian Espinosa picking up one for the Quakes. So do those stats um, tell you the story, do you think? It's kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. First, you look at the shots. Rapids have twice as many shots as, as the Quakes. Yeah. Then you look at the shots on target, 2-2. Two, two. Then you look at Very possession. wasteful. <laughs> yeah, it, it looked like a very – like if you look at the stats, it looks like a timid game. Yeah. Like people – like they were scared of, of going in and creating chances. I mean, there were no chances created. Uh, the corners, 3-1, that looks like a stat from the first 30 minutes of the game. 
Yeah, so... Um, very timid game on paper. Uh, you can't really say much else about it. Right. And going into this game, uh, Rapids probably would have been the favorites. They were fourth. Quakes are 11th. But uh, the first good opportunity of the game for either side fell to Nicola Mesquita. He had four goals in his 12 career games against the Quakes, but he put it wide past the far post to JT's right. Th- that was like a warning sign. We're thinking, okay, you're the away team. This is going to be a bit of an uphill battle. But Kate Cowell broke through. He found trophies in traffic. One touch was all trophies needed to take a shot. He expertly placed it where Yarbrough can keep it out. Uh, Bassett and Abubakar were the closest ones to trophies, but neither could react in time. And it was a perfect start. Which is good because I think Quakes had a habit. They were conceding goals early, earlier in the season. So now they're the ones scoring it. So you want that to translate to three points rather than one point, ideally. But it's a lot harder to get any points if you're the one uh, constantly playing from behind. And I think for the Quakes, it's going to be important for them because they are at a talent deficit against some of these Western Conference teams to make that first punch. And I think that's really important because it shows that the Quakes are willing to start off the match with a lot of energy and rescue any points that they can. Yeah. In the 24th minute, uh, Andre Shinyashiki, he had a dangerous header. He's also been a player that's played well against the Quakes recently. Uh, It required a block. Um, I believe if it's a block shot, I don't think MLS at least counts as a shot on target. Otherwise, I believe the Rapids would have had more than two. But anyway, that was another good opportunity for them. And it was then followed up by another dangerous-looking attack, but... All that momentum was halted with Jack Price conceding a foul in the final third. So it, that guy, he's a blessing and a curse for the Rapids because he does a lot of great things for the Rapids both ways. But because someone to use him with us, uh, he's prone to a few of those kinds of fouls. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other kind of subplot between Mikel Barrios and Tanner Beeson, where in the first half alone, Barrios fouled Beeson three times. And we talked about how it's incredible how a defensive midfielder like Remedi is fouled so often, but Tanner Beeson has been fouled a lot as well, particularly in that situation. And as a forward like Barrios, you want to be able to contribute defensively without fouling. And it's going to be tough sometimes because defenders know how to challenge more effectively and typically concede less of those types of fouls. But still, that was something that I was not expecting to see in that game. And then it's definitely a standout stat. It's mm-hmm. very weird. You can't really like imagine it in the game, but when you look at it, like when you watch the highlights, it's like, man, that's still kind of weird. Like if you wanted to rank the Quake starting lineup by the players you want to foul the most from one to eleven. Beeson probably would be close to the end of that list, just above, of course, the goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, because if you're going to foul a defender, you want the one in the middle, which in our case was Osvaldo Alamis. You know, he was the one that, that was more distributing. So yeah. definitely a weird decision from Barrios. Uh, but yeah, weird stat. Yeah, and 
in this game, the players acting as the fullbacks for the Quakes. You had Marcos Lopez on the left and Shea Salinas on the right. Taren Beeson has played some left back this season, and he, has, he did find himself in some wide areas in this game. But if you're going to try to isolate one of the defenders, it's going to be tough to do so on a center back. I think the Quakes commentary at Dangerfield, he mentioned that uh, if the Quakes wanted to exploit any of uh, the Rapids defenders, it would have been Trusty, who was playing a little out of position in this game because of Sam Vines' absence. So that's usually the train of thought most teams had. And then to close the first half, Cole Bassett found some space and a shot ripped just wide. And that would have been a, uh, a predecessor for what Bassett would contribute in the second half. So first half, I think it was solid, but there was room for improvement, right, Abel? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you don't score in the second half, there's always room for improvement. Yeah, I meant the first half, though. I think it was a solid first oh, half. Oh, no, sorry. I thought you were talking about the second half. My bad. Yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts wrapped up on the first half before we move on to the second. <laughs> uh, first half, uh, solid, more towards the beginning. And in the end, uh, like that shot from Cole Bassett, you can't be – you really can't be allowing – any type of shots, especially to close out the game because it changes the whole dynamic of it. Like if we remember the game against Minnesota, yeah, let in a, a goal right before the half ended. And it was off so, a corner kick too. At the end of this corner. half against the Rapids, they conceded a corner kick again. So I was trying to hide my sense of deja vu, was trying not to manifest it, but that thought was there. Yeah, the Quakes just have to be more careful and ensure that they're putting in all their effort evenly throughout the half. Yeah, in the second half, there was less to talk about. There's mainly only two major things to talk about. There was the goal scored by Cole Bassett, and then there was the sending off. And it wasn't by a player, of course. It was by Agustin Salazar who got sent off. For the goal, uh, Colorado Rapids started the second half stronger. There was call for offside on Barrios, but it was a great ball in. Quakes had a few opportunities to intervene, clear the ball, but it was unsuccessful. Cole Bassett eventually found himself in a dangerous position, slotted in, nothing JT Marcinkowski could have done, and it was an equalizer in the 53rd minute. And now you have this whole second half to try to chase the game and get that go-ahead goal because you, if you invite pressure, you, it's going to be more of a chance that you're going to lose 2-1 and you hang on 1-1, one, one, unless you're very smart about it. Right. Uh, I thought the Quakes responded well. They were able to loop a dangerous ball into the box just before the hour mark. It, it was a bit of end-to-end -end action there where the Rapids are very strong in the counterattack. JT Marcinkowski had to be on his game today. He was intercepting a lot of dangerous moves. He made some smart decisions. And I also noted that Jack Skehan was subbed in before Siad Haji. So I was expecting it would to be the other way around, if anything, because Haji has been more established in the first team at this point. Yeah. So I'm, at this point, I'm not really sure what uh, made this plan for Haji is, if he's going yeah. to bring in like a basically unknown player for a bunch of Quakes fans who follow the team a little more casually. 
They play so, similar positions. I know they're both center attacking midfielders. They could play wingers. So if anything, that's competition. And and that could be a good thing. It could also yeah. push Haji to be the player that we feel like he can become. Right. And I think eventually, like, you do have to know what you have with as many players as possible. This is still a good time to introduce them to this team, especially for someone like Skahan, who barely had a look in last season. Like, you do have to get to know what he can do in these sorts of situations. Uh, the substitution I was most critical of, and I did get some feedback on this, was substituting Christian Espinoza out of the game for Luciano Abacasis. To me, it felt like the equivalent of telegraphing. We are settling for a point, which would only invite pressure for the Rapids. It's like, okay, if they just want a point, we got to make sure they don't get that. But a few people pointed out that it could have been to save Espinoza for the upcoming two games as well. So what did you think of that decision? This is where Almeida confuses me a lot of the time because mm-hmm. you look at his formations, you're, you're thinking, okay, this guy, he wants attack. He wants a very balanced squad. He's going for the three points. And then he pulls off something like this. And it's like, you know, is it because we lack depth in the team or do you, are you really settling for just a point? And like you said, we could be settling for the point and are resting Christian Espinosa for future matchups. Uh, but really, I feel like this was a great opportunity to take the win because Colorado Rapids, they're ranked fourth in the Western Conference right. prior to the game. And we're still so at the point where morale boost, right? three points launches you significantly higher up the table still because the Quakes are really close to some of the other teams around them. And I feel yeah, like I we still... don't have that luxury to settle for one point at this point we're eventually going to need three points. You're looking ahead. Sporting Kansas City is a good team. You're missing some players, but they're still a good team. Houston Dynamo is already beating us. And then after that is Seattle Sounders. That You never want to go to Lumen Field asking for points. So that's going to be uh, tough. You continue to fight this uphill battle. Um, do you have any other thoughts about the sending off of the translator? Uh, do you think they'll have an impact on this team going forward or you think Almeida will figure something out in terms of being able to communicate with the referees for the next match? I feel like he'll figure something out but for the fans listening I want you guys to pay very close attention to what I'm about to say. If Bleacher Report were to post something like this and this particular incident of sending off a translator were to happen in let's say the Champions League yeah. Everyone would be like, oh, wait, wait for a moment, right? Yeah. It's, it's just whatever. But since this happened in the MLS, watch the reactions of people. They're going to be like, man, this is why MLS is like the worst league. Right. So that rhetoric is what hurts the league and its development. Yeah. So just pay very close attention to that. Yeah, I think it's it has elicited a wide range of responses, and it'll continue to do so. Yeah, this will be a talking point from MLS commentators and local commentators for the next few games, probably for the season. <laughs> like, there's going to be yeah. some end of the season bloopers package, or like, you know, some equivalent of Shaq and a fool to yeah. where this will be included. 
Um, yeah. A few other moments in this game to wind things down. You had Nathan who celebrated like he just got an interception in an f- American football game uh, when he successfully had a tackle. I love his passion. And Chris Wanolowski earned a free kick in the last play of the game. There wasn't a lot of options to take it due to the substitutions made as well as international call-ups. Uh, Yarbrough tried his best. I mean, Martinez impression. Unfortunately for the Quakes, it sailed wide. There was no fairy tale ending to this game with Wanolowski saving the day. And Quakes had to sell for the point. Uh, what do you think of those moments down the stretch? Uh, I think this is where we also lack depth. Free mm-hmm. kicks, uh, set pieces, just stuff like that. We're not very good at it, so we have to step up our game. This could be an opportunity for a player like Sierra Haji. Like, it's just like when you're making substitutions in a tournament game, you have to consider you're leaving players in the game or you're bringing them on that will probably have to take a penalty kick. So you those players come off the bench as they would practice penalties, you got to have one of them at least practice uh, taking free kicks. And, of course, Wondolowski can score from a free kick. But historically, if you read the biography of Chris Wondolowski, there's not going to be too many free kick goals. Yeah. The man of the match for me, and according to our poll on Twitter, was Cade Cowell, I think. Just like Benji Kakanovich in the Minnesota game, his moment of brilliance, picking out uh, trophies, won them the, the point. Uh, earn them the point, not really a win. Uh, we had trophies, Marcos Lopez and, uh, and JT Marcinkowski as the other poll options, but we got a lot of praise for Nathan and Eric Remedy, rightfully so. So they could also be considerations for the man of the match. Bell, who would you pick? I'll go with Kate Cowell. Okay. I think he's showing off his brilliance again. Yeah. Close second for me would have been JT Marcinkowski. And I feel like we're very close to seeing Nathan win his first man of the match. Yeah, I think we're close. I think if Quakes keep a clean sheet, it's hard to imagine that happening without Nathan covering every blade of grass possible. Yeah. Uh, Fantasy League update. All the teams at the top of the table continue to win. Soccer Gods and What a Wonderful World continue their march with 11-1 records. Uh, I also got a win. I'm sticking at 10-2. and two. It's getting tricky with these double weeks. I set my team this morning. So keep checking your team. Make sure you set it prior to, you know, keep an eye on the MLS schedule and when these weeks start and end. And the sooner you can do it, the better. Don't think, oh, well, I'm kind of tired. I'm going to do this later because eventually you're going to forget and then you're going to miss out on some easy points. Um, Fabi has a winning record of seven and five. Also, Happy birthday to our co-host, Fabian Rankel. Fabi has been incredible with this podcast. He's been an incredible friend of ours, and it's been a joy to see him enjoy the weekend with his family. And I know he's going to put a lot of effort into whatever we do for the 50th episode, as will we. Uh, Happy birthday, Fabi. Um, Then we have our standings. Uh, not a lot changed yet, but it will change in this next match week. Seattle Sounders, they still lead with 29 points, three points ahead of Sporting Kansas City, but they are no longer invincible after losing to Minnesota United on Sunday. Uh, Abel, did you think the Seattle Sounders would have kept it up longer with this invincible record, or do you think it was coming? I mean, 
no one's going to stay invincible for a very long time. So yeah, I feel like it was bound to happen at one point. If they had all their players, I mean, maybe like a few more match days, invincible, but I feel like it was the perfect time for them to drop points like that. I think it was probably best for them, I think. And yeah. for morale-wise, like Sounders are missing players due to international duty and injuries. They've gained their younger players in depth options, more game time. So as long as they're top of the Western Conference, they don't care if they've lost a game or not. This is where Seattle Sounders believes they should be, and they've earned that position. Um, looking below the playoff line, uh, the Quakes are four points out of the playoffs. Uh, they are four points away from both the Timbers in seventh and Rail Salt Lake in eighth. Rail Salt Lake is the last team we've beaten in this MLS season. So that win against them is proving to be a lifeline. <laughs> that was so long ago to me. It feels like almost last season at this point. Yeah. And then in the Eastern Conference, it's pretty tight. It's seven points separating first place, the Revolution. We did have a surprise loss to Toronto the other day. Uh, they are separated by seven points with sixth place, Columbus Crew. A few people might be surprised to see the crew down there still being the defending MLS champions, but I think there's still plenty of time to sort things out. You have a bit some overachievers, perhaps. You can call Montreal and Nashville being where they are, although Nashville have been consistently good in their short history in MLS. The two New York teams are either side of the playoff line, and uh, then you have Atlanta United with one of the other headlines, letting go of Gabriel Heinz, the former Argentine international, and their head coach didn't work out. In fact, it's probably even gotten worse than Frank DeBoer because they were winning a lot of games under Frank DeBoer, uh, even though in his other stops in his career, you associate DeBoer with mediocrity. Um, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen with Atlanta? Do you think they're going to just go full on player kids and then this season's going to be a wash? Or do you think they'll try to rebuild it? And if so, could they perhaps, you know, still have a chance at the playoffs? I feel like their chances of playoffs this season yeah. probably don't exist. Right. I could see them getting their thing to get their things together next season. Right. But it's gonna take a lot of planning from the Atlanta board. And I feel like the confidence in the players has also been somewhat broken. So it's gonna take a while to fix that. Maybe some new faces, uh probably some trust in the academy. I feel like there's a lot of things that Atlanta can do, but I trust that with a, f a fan base like theirs, uh, it's very demanding. So sooner or later, they're going to get their thing together. Yeah, uh, we'll see because it's starting to feel, if it feels a long ago when the Quakes last won a game, probably feels even longer for Atlanta United since they've felt like contenders in MLS. And Joseph Martinez being injured has had a lot to do with it, and he didn't have the best relationship with Heinzes, so at the very least, the next manager will have a clean slate, and that'll be a plus in that department. We're still looking at just this July slate. Uh, probably in our next podcast, we'll look ahead to the August matchups, but 
July 21st at 5.30 p.m., they placed Sporting Kansas City in uh, Children's Mercy Park, where the U.S. men's national team have played a lot of their group stage games. Three days after that, uh, they come back home to play Houston Dynamo at 7 p.m. Uh, we'll cover the Sporting Kansas City and Houston Dynamo games in the next podcast. And we'll also be at the game, or at least I'll be at the game, uh, representing Tectonic Takes for the Houston Dynamo this Saturday. Uh, representing the Quakes, of course, against Houston Dynamo, to be perfectly clear. <laughs> and then July 31st, the last day of the month, is the last game, of course, uh, against Seattle Sounders at 2 p.m. So there's no excuses. Uh, if you're going out on Saturday, you know, you're probably not going to be out at 2 p.m. Go ahead and watch that game. Um, this is going to be a very tough stretch. I think within the Quakes fans right now, the buzz is, oh, great, Sporting Kansas City, I mean, not great that they have COVID or are close contacts, but great that they're missing players. But Sporting Kansas City are a deep team, and they're going to cause us some problems, I think. Yeah, I think so. But a win against them would be great for the team. I feel like our best opportunity is against Houston Dynamo, but I'm looking at Sporting KC. I think at this point, we can't be picky about which teams we can beat. We just got to try to beat them. We did score first against Sporting Kansas City in that game. That kind of started that trend where, okay, the Quakes are starting to be proactive instead of reactive. But then Sporting Kansas City, they grew into the game and they ended up winning by a comfortable margin. Um, Let's get into some fan questions. Nico Gonzalez, or as he will like to be referred to, according to, you know, some Discord messages, Chofis with Cheese asks, is it safe to say Almeida is throwing anything against the wall to steal what sticks? And I think we answered that. We referred to him as a mad scientist earlier in this podcast. So mm-hmm. that is an apt way to describe a mad scientist, throwing anything against the wall to see what sticks. And that's how science works in a way. It's a lot of trial and error and experimentation. Um, next we got David Mays. Why does it seem that since the MLS's back tournament, uh, the Quakes scoring has really declined? I'm so confused. It is a bit of a concern. The Quakes haven't scored more than one goal in a lot of these games. They scored two against Minnesota, but besides that, a lot of these games where they haven't been winning, they've scored one or less goals. So there's no easy solution. It still feels like this is an attacking core by committee. Cowell seems to be the one of the new chiefs of that committee, uh, even though he's still very young. He's been contributing a lot of those goals. But Minnesota was a Benji game. We got a bit of a trophies game today uh, in this previous game. Uh, we're hoping to get another Wando game soon, um, but that's the situation here. Um, Trevor Wojcik asks, Are there, oh, that was from the previous uh, – podcast sorry Trevor <laughs> hope you're listening to this one still we got a question from Facebook Christy Burris says she's liking the new signing Nathan I think he's selling well with the team Abel understatement of the podcast right <laughs> he is settling very well into yeah. the team yeah and you know I'm not one to third shade I'm very thankful for the Facebook uh, community the San Jose Earthquake supporter Facebook group there are great people, but I had to disagree with the person who didn't like Nathan celebrating the tackle. 
you, you got to get any sort of positive energy where you can at this point, and he provides that, and it is welcome. Definitely. Next, we got a question from Nacho from Twitter. Uh, I definitely want to know more about the yellow card to the coach and red card to the interpreter. Or it looks like the interpreter bench is warming up. I wish we could find out what he said. I think that will be left a mystery. I think it should be left a mystery. I think the mystery is a part of this uh, meme in a way. Yeah. You know, like there, a bunch of memes are going to show up with captions of what the interpreter might have said. Yeah. And it's, I feel like the the whatever format comes out of this is going to be used in a long run for MLS memes. Yeah, all the MLS meme pages got some new material. Yeah. Jay Whalty asks, uh, do you think Beeson was targeted for fouls prior to uh, because of technical vulnerability or because he's relatively inexperienced as a starter? Um, normally, it's the creative pal- players that get hacked. I think we touched on this like unless we ever get uh, Robin Frazier on the podcast, we're not going to know why Tanner Beeson was fouled specifically. When you attack an experienced players, you don't foul them. You try to exploit their weakness by sending your attacks through their side of the field. What, even if it's a center back, like I did say center backs are less prone to this treatment, but there's a left one and a right one. You can still focus your attack on either the left, left or the one respect right one respectively um but i think maybe they just haven't seen surely they have seen some tapes of tanner beeson but there's not a lot of tape relative to some other players and i think tanner beeson's growth from his relative short time he's been in the league as much as jack scahan and you have two opposites of spectrum scahan has not played at all practically in his first two years whereas tanner beeson perhaps due to some circumstances regarding injuries, has played a lot of minutes. So I think right. some teams are overestimating how much they can take advantage of Tanner Beeson. I don't think he's a weak link in this lineup anymore. If he was for very much uh, of last season either, I think he had a few bad games in 2020. He scored some own goals or – he was at fault for a few goals, but so was everybody. <laughs> so right. I, I wouldn't read too much into that. And clearly he's kicked on and he's been a good player this second season. Lastly, from Discord, uh, Muda Fuqua. <laughs> I try not to say it as the, his name is intended to be, since we do get a range of audience in the show. I'm sure some people watch with their kids that this is just a comment is now mandatory for this show to get the translator on the podcast that guy's a savage we did actually reach out to him prior to this season uh at least Bobby did so who knows it's not out of the realm of possibility um we just gotta get to him before he's too famous from this meme right (laughs) i would love to have him on the show i would love to interview him i think We've had some fan favorite players on the podcast before. Andres Imperial, he was loved during a short time in this podcast uh, with the Quakes. Marvel Wynn is a nice guy. Eric Calvillo has been great. Uh, Quincy's a legend. We had so many fan favorites. I think with all due respect to them, I think he would be the most anticipated podcast if we could get him on. So we'll see. We'll keep trying. <laughs> Definitely. 
lastly, Abel, before we sign off for this podcast, do you think the Quakes will get a win by the end of July? Yes or no? Yes. I have faith that one of those games we will win. Most likely might be that game against Houston. But like you said, we can't be picky about who we win against. I think we will too. It's tough to snap this undefeated streak. It feels like anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Like it's just something happens where the Quakes are Charlie Brown. And as they try to kick the football, someone steals at the last minute, Lucy style, but we are due for a win and hopefully it happens within the next three games. I think it will. And that'll do it for this podcast. We'll quickly thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scars, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scars for your group or team at or team at roughneckscars.com. And if you're tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas, as we've seen with the Premier League kits getting released, some of them are very unimaginative. And if you are looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or cycling group, Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. And that'll do it for this episode. Uh, and thank you, Abel, for coming on. You've been a great contributor to uh, the Tectonic Takes podcast in your relative short time with us. And you also wrote a new article that is available to our Patreons talking about if the Quakes made a mistake, letting go of Nick Lima. You want to tease that real quick before we go? Probably one of the best work that I've done. Obviously, I've only released two articles. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Officially on Tectonic Takes. but It's in the top half. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) top half. Uh, but like out of all the other things that I've written, like from school to my medium, yep. this is probably one of the best things that I've written. And so one thing that I was like really passionate about, I was like typing, I was like, I'm feeling this, you know, I miss Nick Lima. <laughs> yeah. So he's been doing a great job with some Patreon exclusive content. Uh, if you want to become a part of our Patreon, our link will be in the podcast description. Of course, we are producing a lot of free content as well, including my latest MLS Multiplex article where myself and several other writers from the platform, we came together, we put in our all-star ballots like Abel and I did, and as Abel said he would submit after we're done recording, and we tallied up the results and we came up with an aggregate uh, MLS all-star lineup through those ballots that we picked out. So definitely check it out, uh, support our work. We really appreciate you listening to this podcast. And as always, go Quakes.